Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. My very special guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Christopher Croner from Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Croner is a principal with Sales Drive LLC, a firm that specializes in the selection and deployment of high-performing salespeople. Dr. Croner is also co-author of the book entitled, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again. Love the title. Uh, and now it's in its second edition, by the way. Detailing his research and the practice in identifying the non-teachable personality traits common to the very top sales producers. Dr. Croner developed his proprietary test drive assessment and the drive interview for salesperson selection. Using this system, he has helped over 1,500 companies hire and develop top-performing salespeople. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Croner. Great to have you here today. Ian, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here and very much look forward to being of service to you and your audience. Uh, thank you. And I know you're busy with your practice. You've, you've got a lot going on. The book's jumping off the shelves. You've got lots of customers uh, that, that are in your debt and, and, and thankful for, for your service for them. So on behalf of the listeners, thank you for, for you know, availing yourself and making some time today. Uh, I'd like to ask you something, uh, Dr. Conor, that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, the whole notion of the hunter. Right, we've got farmers and we've got hunters, but the hunters—they're the special ones, in my view, in my experience. So, what are the most important characteristics for hunter salespeople who will consistently grow business? Good question. You know, when it comes to the hunter salesperson, psychologically, when you think about that person that needs to focus on new account acquisition, you're really looking for the person that's going to be able to go out, knock on a door, if you will, whether that's in person or over the phone sometimes get that door slammed in their face, then knock on the next door with that much more certainty and passion and conviction. And psychologically, yes, that's a very special person that we're talking about. So to understand what really leads someone to be successful in that role, we got started over 20 years ago now, starting out researching everything that had been published on that topic academically over the last, what, 85, almost 90 years now, as well as looking at our own work, doing behavioral interviews with sales candidates, and then circling back with their managers thereafter to find out who really does become successful. And when we looked at all of that data, Ian, we found that many of the characteristics, again, that most people would classically expect to be important in a successful hunter salesperson were still very important. Characteristics, as you can probably imagine, like persuasion and relationship skills and even organizational skills. However, above and beyond any of those by far were these three non-teachable characteristics that continue to stand out and differentiate the highest performing hunters. The first one is what we call the need for achievement. And when we talk about the need for achievement in a salesperson, Ian, we're talking about the person who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well. So the salesperson who's high in need for achievement, they just naturally want to set the bar high, if you will. They want to jump over that. Then they want to set it even higher again the next time. So they're constantly focused on producing excellence just for the sake of excellence. That's the first piece, need for achievement. The second piece is competitiveness. And the competitive salesperson we find really wants to do two things. Number one, they want to be the best in their team. They're always comparing their performance to their peers because they just need to know how they stack up, if you will, relative to the group. But number two, 
they want to win that prospect or that client over to their point of view. Because to them, psychologically, that sale is kind of like a contest of wills. And then the third piece mm. is optimism. And that's the salesperson's sense of certainty that they will succeed, as well as, of course, their resilience to remain persistent when they face the inevitable rejection that a salesperson just has to deal with. So we find it's those three characteristics all together, Ian, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism that uh, psychologically create sort of the, the perfect storm, if you will. And collectively, we refer to those three characteristics as drive. I love how you summarized that, uh, Dr. Croner, down to drive, right? Like, so I, I, I'm not entirely surprised. I, I looked at the other list you're thinking about, persuasion, relationship work. Those are important. Those are important. They're, they're not to be dismissed. But with yes. all of the research that you've leaned into and done yourselves to look at what does really good look, not just good look like, what does great look like? What are the, uh, what are the uh, characteristics, the elements, that, the pieces of that DNA, that human, uh, that, that makes for you know, the rock star of the sales team, as you said, need to achieve. It's about accomplishment. It's not just doing the job. It's doing the job as best as you possibly can. So it's, it's, it's on themselves, that part. It, it's like they really need to, to, to make it a great day and accomplish their goals. They're driven. Drive is the, is the title. Uh, number two was competitiveness. I often think that some of the best salespeople were, were in sports in their youth. And they understand winning. They understand the need for team, the need to, 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 to never say die, to keep going. When, even if they're losing, we've still got time on the clock. We can get this done. So winning in the market, and I like what you also said about win, winning on the team, definitely they compare themselves to others, right? How are we doing? How far away from, am I from the top to the, of the month club, right? So they're, they're, always, they, they're watching the scoreboard. There's no doubt about it. And a beautiful thing called optimism. Yeah, you, you talked about that, Dr. Croner. And, and I think it's not have a good day, make it a good day. We have, we have to be optimistic. We have to think we can. Because at the minute we start doubting our thoughts, we're already in trouble. And, and persistence, and that all comes right down to, to drive. I mean, these are, these are fabulous, fabulous summaries of, of what a hunter salesperson is and needs to be. Often we think about what motivates salespeople, right? And, and is it recognition? Is it, you know, uh, feeling good about yourself? Is it money? And if we asked a thousand people just on the street, one of those, you know, random interviews, what motivates salespeople? Uh, I think they'd all say money, 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 money. And, and so are successful salespeople, Dr. Corner, motivated by money? You're, you're exactly right. That is the most common thing people will tend to say is that a salesperson's motivated by money. And that's what uh, companies, when they come to us for help hiring salespeople, uh, they'll often tell us, you know, we want somebody who's motivated by money. And we go so far as to find someone who's motivated by money that we look for a candidate, for example, uh, Dr. Croner, who, for example, has a mortgage, a couple car payments, kids in school, external pressures to motivate, yes. to motivate them to make sure that they're motivated by money. <laughs> And then the same company, uh, yeah. <laughs> the same company will then say to me, "Well, you know, Doctor Croner, we have this problem. We have so many salespeople we see get up to a certain level of production, and then they just level off, and we can't figure it out." We talk about these folks in our book. We call them the flatliners. They get up to a certain mm. level of production, and then they just 
they just you know phone in the same performance quarter after quarter just to maintain. What's interesting is when you have someone who's motivated by money, we find that when that's the person's primary motivation, generally, again, they get up to a certain lifestyle, and that's often what they're going after. And so once they get up to that lifestyle, now they know what they need to phone in quarter after quarter to maintain that lifestyle. And that can be fine. However, when you get someone who's motivated by need for achievement, for example, they're sort of like that kid in school that just has to get high marks, just has to get an A. They'll continue to excel. They'll continue to produce. Money is still important to them, to be sure. But money is how they show how well they've done. It's like points on the scoreboard to a great athlete. It's how they show how well they've done rather than their goal in and of itself. So if you get someone who's motivated by money, they'll continue to want to put more and more points on the scoreboard, not because it's their goal in and of itself, but it's how they show how well they've done. I know that's a subtle distinction, but when you find the person who's motivated by need for achievement, that tends to be the thing that, again, the the primary thing that motivates them to do well for its own sake. Money is simply the way they show how well they've done. It's like the A on their report card to the student. Beautifully said. And I I believe that. I I think the top salespeople I've had the the pleasure of working with, training, working with as as a colleague or, you know, them, me as their manager, whatever it was, uh, if, if it's all about money, and it's usually, I've asked that question in, in my training programs. So how many of you here, uh, what are you motivated by? And hands are going, money, money. And I look at those people and I think, all right, well, the reason you're saying that is because you don't really deeply know that you can. Because if you deeply knew you could, and this gets into psychology, uh, it's some self-efficacy uh, going on here that if you know you can, okay, that's great. Don't be worried about that. There should be a deeper drive in you than that. And yes. I love how you said the need for achievement is is more on display with sustainable sales champions than just getting to that point. And, and then in your book, referring to the flatliner. Yeah, we, we don't want a bunch of flatliners. We want people to keep climbing because every day is a new challenge in sales. We can raise the the game. We can set the bar higher every day, every month. Why would we just like, okay, we're here, kick, done, and just coast? Like, well, that's that's not doing anyone any. Neither is it doing the salesperson any favors. So it's amazing how we, you, you've looked at motivation uh, with that one, Dr. Broner, really. So is it better? So this is interesting, right? Just thinking about this a little bit. Is it better to hire salespeople with a track record of success and larger companies thinking, you know, maybe they've trained them, they're, they're, they're successful already in a bigger company, maybe they'll even be a bigger rock star in our company. What's, what's your view on that, Dr. Croner? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, Ian, when companies, particularly smaller companies, when they're starting out, oftentimes it'll even be a company hiring their very first salesperson. They're looking for somebody who's going to start producing for them quickly. And so it's natural that they would sort of look out and find an individual who's been successful at a very large company. That looks great on the person's resume. They're thinking, okay, great, this person, surely if they've done well in particular at this large company, surely they must have had world-class sales training. Surely they have this great track record of success. Therefore, surely they will bring that same degree of success to bear for us. But the key question is, what really led to their success? Was it always the right. effort, or was it really the fact that they had all that brand recognition and collateral material that were really opening the doors for them, for example, on a cold call, making that cold call much easier than it is when they don't have those advantages? 
So oftentimes when a company is a little bit smaller and they're looking for either their first salesperson or, or the first among, you know, or one among their, their first uh, group of salespeople, I'll often recommend, particularly if they need the person who's going to be up, up and producing relatively quickly, look for the person who maybe has two to three years of relevant previous experience at a similarly sized company. So again, they've had sales 101. If you need them to kind of hit, hit the ground running, if you will, they've had sales 101. They've dealt with the challenges inherent when they don't necessarily have all the advantages of working at a very large company. And then I recommend also looking for someone with the drive underneath that, the drive characteristic, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism to show that they have the passion to execute on that knowledge, if you will. That's what we recommend looking for, particularly, again, when you need somebody who's going to help you uh, get up to speed relatively quickly and you're a bit of a smaller company, not necessarily just taking someone from a large company just because their pedigree looks great. I so agree. And, and it's been my same experience. I, I remember back in the day, many years ago, uh, when I worked at Apple, uh, Apple would open doors by itself. <laughs> I mean, you could say, I'm from Apple. Would you like to see me? I, I'm here. I've got product. Oh, of course. A big brand. Come on in. You, you. And, and so it, for sure, the, the brand recognition can open some of those doors. So it wasn't that someone knocked on it. It was the brand got you in. And it's what you do when you get in there that matters. And then the bigger companies, too, Dr. Corner, it's they, they've got marketing departments. They're spending millions of dollars a month on marketing, generating leads. And so the phone's ringing, right? It's, so there's, oh, it's just a reactive price. Just say, yeah, I'm Fred here from IBM. I can help you. It's, uh, that's really not a, a lot of uh, work that's going on. No, no outbound effort there. So I agree. I think uh, experience in a smaller company um, so that you understand you might have to be your own marketing department. You might have to make it rain. You might have to get on that, on that walk of, of fame and knock on doors until someone says hello and you're not going to get, you know, shut down because you get a bunch of no's. You're waiting for the next yes. Uh, I, I think you're right on the mark with that. I, I truly do. And then I like how you went back to what are the prime, uh, characteristics. They need to achieve compete and optimism i mean okay they, you could have somebody great on paper but when you look at the deeper psychology of it if they've got those things i would put them up against anyone who who's great on paper any day of the week i i completely agree with what you're talking about because you can't teach those things that's what you said these are unteachable characteristics they're either in the dna or they're not now i, I wish we could clone people <laughs> You probably had that discussion with, with sure. clients before. Do oh, that one and that one. Oh, I'd like to get rid of the rest and just hire their brothers and sisters. We'll be just fine. Right? I wish that was a possibility, <laughs> but the truth is it isn't, right? So it, it's, it's kind of interesting. So it, it, with with your research, with the, the science you, you've deep-dived into, uh, Dr. Connell, what are the best interview questions? Because many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, business owners, Sales, VPs, directors, etc. They they interview all week, all month long. What are some of the best interview questions to assess a candidate's drive? Ah, thank you. Yeah, you know, in terms of the interview, we know the best predictor of future behavior is previous behavior. So during the interview, we want to ask the candidate about behavior they've engaged in in the past at work that reflects the characteristics that we would like for them to show for us going forward. So when it comes to the three elements of drive, starting out with need for achievement, one of my favorite questions to ask is, what kinds of sacrifices have you had to make to be successful? And then just listen, what does that person consider to be a sacrifice? Was it maybe they had to work a couple weekends last year? 
or was it something more substantial? Now compare that to the kinds of sacrifices you've seen your top performers have to make over time. Or mm. tell me about the greatest goal you've ever accomplished professionally. Really have the person describe that and flesh it out for you. Then you can reflect back to them. You've got to be proud of that. How do you intend to top it? Again, the person high in need for achievement has a plan to top it, and they are excited about the opportunity to tell you about it. For competitiveness, when was the last time you were competitive at work? What did that look like for you? Again, we want to look for the person that just enjoys a competition at work where even if there's not a competition in place, they will make one because they just need to know how they stack up, if you will, relative to the group. And again, it's not about being the, you know, a bull in the, the china shop, if you will. It's more about just wanting to know how they compare to others. They just have that need, if you will. But they also have, again, they've got that need for achievement. That's why we combine that together with competitiveness because the need for achievement is what kind of dials, dials them back from being a bull in the china shop. They want to do well for mm-hmm. its own sake. So for competitiveness, the last time you were competitive at work, what did it look like? And then for optimism. Tell me about a time when you remain persistent even though everyone else around you gave up. Now tell me about another time, you know, just getting those consistent examples. Because again, past the age of 21, 22, you're exactly right. There's not much we're really going to do to change drive. So again, it's important for us to make sure that we're going after that characteristic as carefully as we can in the interview process using questions that address each of the elements of drive. So, wow. Listeners, there's some fabulous tips there for all of you. Like, inspecting, I like to say, if, if you don't inspect it, you'll, you, you'll never manage it, right? We have to inspect what we yeah. expect. And, and I love what you talked about there. Previous behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. So that's where the interview, you know, the, the, the lanes could be. It's, you know, what were some of the sacrifices you've made? Um, yeah. You know, that, that's a huge thing. And, and, and if someone, you can tell in an interview if someone's just scripted and it's not really in their heart. It's just in their head. So some of these questions, I think, are designed to, to peel the layers off that and get to the real heart of the matter. Uh, goals versus accomplishments, you know. And I love how you added to the end of it. How are you planning on topping that? Because someone who is, they has that need for achievement, they'll, they should have a pretty prompt answer. Well, I, I'm glad you asked because here's my plan, yeah. right? And so you, you, someone that's tip of their, right off the edge of their lips, that's, exactly what you want uh being competitive at work and examples of persistence i i I think persistence is one of the most important sales skills qualities whatever you want to call them characteristics of all because we're going to get no a lot of times it's bouncing back and, and being persistent to the next yes that separates the the good from the great if you will and persistence you know you could lose the you could lose the the inning you know, win the game. You can lose the game, win the series. There's always, you know, and that that's so hard to teach. That's either there or it's not. You can recognize it. You can motivate it. You can celebrate it, but you can't teach it. It's either in someone or it's not. I love that you've identified this, Dr. Croner, as a as a success trait and, and have a way of finding it for, for companies. Oh, my gosh. The amount of companies who've hired wrong and better be buying at least one, if not five copies of your book for their whole team, because you never want to do that again. So it's very expensive. I'm sure you know that. Um, so if I could, what is the most effective way in your experience, and you've had a lot of it, to identify high potential sales candidates prior to the interview? In other words, before they're across the desk from you or on the Zoom call, what can you do ahead of time 
to give yourself a bit of a short list if you can. Of course, it's all about screening up front. You know, that's the challenge we find is drive is the easiest characteristic, unfortunately, for most candidates to fake in the interview, especially if the interviewer is not as experienced. Uh, and it's the most difficult characteristic to accurately rate. So that is why we advocate the use of an assessment prior to the one-on-one -on -one interview that goes after drive, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism. Um, my company, Sales Drive, we have our own assessment, the, the drive test that I've developed um, gosh, over the last 20 years, uh, that goes after those non-teachable characteristics and does it in a way that eliminates faking, which can be a big issue, as you can imagine, on so many of the assessments out there. So we recommend using an assessment prior to the one-on-one -on -one interview that goes after the three non-teachable elements, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism, then the people who, again, uh, pass that assessment, if you will, you bring those people forward into the interview process and use those results, never as the be-all, end-all, but a bit like having your consumer report before you make a major buying decision. Again, the assessment mm -hmm. results just sort of say, hey, buyer beware. You use that to structure the interview, make sure that you're digging underneath the surface and understanding the dynamics, the unique dynamics going on uh, with that candidate. Because with a well-constructed assessment, you're much more powerful as an interviewer. Because now no matter what, you're going into that new hire with your eyes wide open. So we recommend starting out with an assessment to screen your candidates up front. Then for the folks that, that make the score, if you will, that you're looking for on the assessment, bringing those folks into the one-on-one -on -one interview and digging down further. The well-constructed test is like the x-ray, then the well-constructed behavioral interview thereafter is like the CAT scan. Wow, I, I well-worded. I, I really like how you, you phrase that. And, and I've, you know, I, I've been victim to this where I've been interviewing people and you know, on paper, they look good. I check the references. Of course, the references are great. I try and find the references that they didn't give. LinkedIn can be handy for that. And do I know someone that knows someone that knows that person? Now let me get an, <laughs> an you know, a, a, a real reference, not not a you know a nicely baked reference. Uh, bake it and fake it. Those rhyme. It's interesting, right? But <laughs> I, you, we we want to be aware, and I think you're pointing this out so well, so elegantly, so better than I could. That you, you we buyer beware. We have to be aware of the interview that that salesperson that could be their very best sales call you'll ever witness was the interview you had with them to make you say okay you're hired and now it goes downhill from there and and now we've we've wasted tons of time money company effort just to be back on the on the cycle of looking for the next one and so why not do it best the first time and, and i love what you're talking about uh, dr colonel with an assessment first if it's worth doing, this is old wisdom from my father. He used to say, Ian, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well, right? So yes. doing it well in this context means do the assessment, make that investment instead of, you know, buying 10 pair of shoes later because you didn't get the right fitting up front. Um, uh -huh. And it, it's, I'm sure the assessment plays a role, not just with selection. And maybe you wait till you've got a bit of a short list, three, five, whatever the candidates are. And that, as you said, plays a part in the final decision, but probably a pretty pivotal part for where, where I'm looking. Um, that, that, that report, that information is probably very useful for the development and coaching of that individual. Would that be right? Very, very true. That's why for each person uh, that takes our assessment, the, the drive test, you get an additional report called the production builder. 
the production builder, um, our, our development report gives you all the same scores that you get in the drive test from one to five. You know, things like, again, a need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism, but then also looks at the teachable skills, persuasiveness, relationship mm-hmm. skills, organizational skills, and gives you a couple of additional pages of things you can do to mentor or motivate that person, given their unique psychological profile when it comes to those more teachable characteristics. So yes, as you can imagine, our clients find the production builder report helpful, not only for onboarding, but also for ongoing development. So we always provide both of those reports to our clients. Wow. I, I mean, people doing it the old way, the wing it way, the hope we got it right way are leaving big money on the table. Because when you hire the wrong salesperson, many of our listeners that have done this, including me, it's expensive. You, 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 wish, you, could, you wish there was an undo button on that, right? And there isn't. <laughs> it, it, it's done, it's done, it's spent and wasted, and you've got to go back to the to the drawing board, and that's, that's frustrating and expensive. So uh, Dr. Chris Croner from Chicago has been my very special guest <laughs> this week. Now, now, Doctor, before we let you go, and again, thank you on behalf of the listeners. Wow, you, you've provided some fabulous insight and expertise for many of the people out there who are in the very same seat looking to hire their next number of salespeople. Why not do it right the first time, folks? Um, how can our listeners best reach out to get a hold of you if they want to buy some of your books? I, I, never buy one. Always buy one and get them forward is my play. It's, there's always someone else that could learn something from, from someone else. So, so if you're going to buy one, buy two. Um, how can they best reach out to get a hold of you? Thank you. Yes, our website is salesdrive.info, salesdrive.info, as in Frank O, salesdrive.info. Go to that website and you'll find copies of our book. Of course, you'll also see a link to take a complimentary assessment. I would like to invite your listeners in to select that button. There'll be a red button when they go to salesdrive.info, inviting them to take a complimentary assessment. Any of your listeners who are sales managers or who hire salespeople, please feel free to click on that link, request a complimentary assessment, and it will be our pleasure to send one to you. That's fantastic. Thank you for your generosity. And Dr. Croner, again, thank you for taking the time today. I greatly appreciate uh, the wisdom, the insight, the expertise, and your generosity. So thank you again. Ian, you are very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. I greatly appreciate that as well. Thanks again. And thank you all for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.